0: Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadstjames.life. Uh, let's get into today's message and uh, looking at a, a new book we're getting into a couple of weeks ago. We finished up looking at the book of Zechariah. Uh, we currently are in a large uh, span of time between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7 uh, on our journey through the Bible. Uh, so in this span of time here, this brings us to a very popular book, the book of Esther. It's uh, it's popular. It's a great story. No one both inside and outside of church and Christian circles. It's a, it's a pretty popular story. Some of you probably know it very well. Um, it's, it's got a lot of intrigue, got a lot of good stuff in it. And so we're going to start looking at this and, and studying it a little bit deeper. Uh, the most unique feature about this book is that it does not contain any names, titles, or pronouns of God in its entirety. It doesn't mention God at all. What in the world? What is it doing in the Bible? Exactly. <laughs> that was actually a big question uh, for, for quite some time. And they just said... You may not have the name of God there. You may not have anybody mentioning God. You may not have anybody mentioning the characteristics of God. You may not have anybody saying, hey, we better be praying to God. We better be fasting to God. None of these things are mentioned in there. However, you can definitely experience the presence of God within the pages of the story. And uh, it's extremely powerful. So uh, we're going to be looking into this. Um, and, and studying it uh, a little bit more. So today we're going to simply look at the first chapter and see the events that gave way to an opening for the position of the Queen of Persia. Uh, now most of the story takes place uh, in the capital building in the city of Susa. Susa was about 225 miles east of Babylon. And you could call it like the winter capital of Persia. Uh, And you call it that because they only met there during the winter months because Susa... Uh, the average high temperature in the summertime is over 100 degrees, with peaks of 140. So, the kings were like, "Yeah, we're not going to meet down there. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna head north during the the summer months to a place called Ecbatana." But but Susa was so nice in the winter that that actually a majority of the time, a good chunk of the time, uh, they would be there. Um, so. In short, what we're seeing here with having these two capitals and so far away from, from Babylon is that much of the governance for Persia is now gone from Babylon. You know, when Cyrus the Great took over and Daniel was still alive and those kinds of things, it's they've moved on from Babylon. Babylon was a nice city. It's still a city. It still exists. It's still under Persian rule, but it, it none of the governance for Persia is is found here at all. I mean, it's, it's just kind of the way it is uh, and how that works. So, you're not, you know, you don't hear as much about Babylon, those kinds of things. Now with the Persians, uh, now with the Persians there, so all of this is is the setting of what's going on. And so, if you have your Bibles, open up to Esther chapter one, and uh, we're going to start off with the story of of the king at the time. Having a couple of parties. Look at verse 1 in Esther chapter 1 with me. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast. For all his officials and servants, the army of Persia and Media, uh, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days. 180 days. Verse 5. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a small, uh, a small f- or a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Uh, there were white cotton curtains and violet uh, violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple uh, fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement. "...of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to uh, the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to his edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to uh, to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace." That belonged to King Ahasuerus. So, we have Ahasuerus, more commonly known by his Greek name, by the name the Greeks gave him, uh, as Xerxes. He puts on these two major parties, and then his wife, Queen Vashti, also puts on uh, a party for the women of the palace. Now, just to give you a heads up... uh, it Ahasuerus is a name and a title combined. It's also kind of hard to say. So when I talk and I preach, I'm going to use his Greek name Xerxes because it's easier to say that. But when I read it, it's going to be Ahazurus, just because I'll forget. So but while I'm talking, Xerxes, Ahazurus, same guy. Just different names. OK, so in fact, it's like I said, it could be a name. It, it could also be a title. Um, but it's more commonly known in Greek as, as Xerxes, and we'll talk about why it's known as Greek in a minute here. Um, I understand, though... Xerxes' parties weren't just for the fun of it. This wasn't like, okay, I got nothing to do, let's throw this huge party. There was actually a purpose to this, and it was common within the Persian kings. What they would do is, listen, we need to go to battle, we need to fight because, well, we want more money and we want more land and we want more people to own, so uh, let's let's go to battle. And so what they would do is they would throw these huge opulent parties and have everybody come, you know, all the the heads of the provinces and the army and, and the generals and all that stuff. And they would come together and the first thing they would do is kind of discuss, you know, this is the reason why we need to to go to war. And then they'll be like, okay, that's that sounds like a good idea. And then they'll they'll strategize. And throughout the time, it's it's kind of a party. It's it's uh, it's a time of drinking, it's a time of eating, and those kinds of things, and they're they're planning all these things, and it's it's huge. And the whole purpose of being, you know, of things being described, you know, in, in such opulence, such such magnificence, you know, we've got ivory floors and we got these things you got everything's made out of gold that you're drinking from and all this stuff is pretty much to say hey look the national treasury is good look how good we're doing this is amazing we're powerful we're rich let's get more rich <laughs> by taking over other nations and so that's what they would do and so they come up with these parties and the party happens this first one with you know that took 180 days And it was so good and everything was awesome that at the end, just within the capital city there within Susa, he decides to have a second seven-day party to say, hey, let's celebrate the fact that we're going to go to war and that everybody agreed with it. This is awesome. This is fun. Uh, This is great. Now, the big question mark is Queen Vashti's uh, party. Nobody really understands why that happened because that wasn't typical within Persian history. Typically, the queen and the women of the palace partied with the the rest of the people, um, they, they didn't have a separate party. So that's kind of, that's kind of stuck there. There's some various reasons why they think that's going to happen, but we're not going to dig into that too much today. Um, but you got three major parties and the big thing is that they're about to go to war and, and the war that's going to happen is, is a war, uh, against Greece, um, that happens in 481 BC. This is about 486 or about 483. And so, um, this is this is right before that that big war, that big battle. You can read about it in your history books if you want to, but that's not part of our story today. So we get to the end of that seven-day party, and this is where things kind of start to heat up. This is where the story starts to pick up. Uh, not necessarily yet for Esther. We'll, we'll see Esther in the next chapter, but here in verse 10, look there with me in chapter 1. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry uh, with wine, He commanded Mehumen, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, sorry, Zathar, and Karkas, uh, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command uh, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. So, in a drunken stupor... Xerxes wants to show off his beautiful wife. you got to come and, and, and show yourself off. You're, you're one hot mama, and I want everybody to see you and what you look like. Um, since the Bible gives no details as to why Vashti said no, it's kind of left up to conjecture. So I'll give you three of the, the more popular reasons uh, why she may have said no. According to early rabbinical teaching, according to the Jews, Xerxes asked her to come out naked. Uh, now this is very possible since the common threads of the day were tunics, and as we all know and understand, tunics don't leave much to the imagination, right? You're just wearing a muumuu. No, many people, not many people, are like, "Wow, that is one gorgeous person." You don't really know that. You can't see that in the form. You know, the Daisy Dukes and the the bikini tops hadn't been invented yet. So, so this is the. Xerxes is like, why don't you come on out naked? And so according to early Jewish tradition, that's what they taught. He's like, hey, come out naked. And she refuses to. And so what ends up happening is there's like a championing of, of Queen Vashti's, um, of Queen Vashti's uh, modesty. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's not how it works. Now, you can go a little bit further. There were some rabbis that actually taught... That he calls her to come in, I want you to come in naked, and she actually initially agrees to do so. Okay, I'm going to come out, get my crown on, and I'm going to come out naked. And as she she disrobes and she's about to step into the room, the Lord strikes her with leprosy. And then she's like, well, now I'm not going to come out because now I look like a freak because <laughs> I've got leprosy. That's probably not how it actually happened, based on what we're going to see in the rest of the story. Um, but one of, one of the reasons why they think she may have said no was because he asked her to come out naked, and, well, she didn't want to do that. Another reason why she may not have done it was according to Persian social norms at the time, no one except the king was allowed to look upon or gaze At the queen, like you could, you could see her, you could look at her, but you couldn't just sit there and stare, you know, and just be like, "Oh my goodness, this is, she's gorgeous, that's amazing." You weren't allowed to do that. You weren't supposed to look at that. If a person were to see the queen once they recognized it was her, they were supposed to look away. It was like, "Oh, that's the queen. I I can't be staring at her. She might be beautiful, but, but I'm allowed to look at her." It went so far that they that when the queens of persia would travel it would be in a covered carriage they'd be covered head to toe i mean you again you were not allowed to sit there and gaze upon the queen so it's 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 possible that this is why queen vashti said no she's like no i don't want to do this this is part of the social norm now granted don't get me wrong that part of the reason why they had that rule was because only the king was good enough to look at the queen. You know, it, it it had really nothing to do with, you know, a modesty kind of thing, but it was like, you're a poor peasant that doesn't deserve to look at me and to gaze at me. So, so... That's, that's not going to happen. And so there's an aspect to where, sure, there might be some modesty there. And, you know, listen, this is our social norm. You don't get to sit there and look at me. But at the same time, none of your drunken bum friends are good enough to be staring at me. So, no, I'm not going to come out there and do this. So it's possible he asked her naked and she didn't want to do that. It's possible that it's just a part of her social norm. And she's like, hey, listen, I don't want to do this. This isn't how it works. This isn't any good. And then there's a third thing. This is the third year of Xerxes' reign, and it's said at the beginning there. He starts his reign in 486 B.C., so this would be around 483 B.C. Well, in 483 B.C., Xerxes' son, the next king, Artaxerxes, was born. It's possible that she was pregnant, and she's like, listen, feeling a little bloated tonight. Don't feel like coming out and dancing for you because I'm pregnant. <laughs> the only issue with this is her name. So uh with uh with uh King Artaxerxes, it's noted in Greek history cuz as weird as this sounds, the Persians didn't do a great job at recording their own history and so a lot of the history that we have it was recorded by the Greeks. It seems weird but but that's just the way it is. Um the Greeks when they talk about uh, Artaxerxes' mother Vashti is not the name used of course it's uh, it's a name called Amestris so his mother's name is Amestris and so it's you, you, they're kind of stuck because Vashti is not a name anywhere recorded in anything in in Persia in, 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 uh, in, in Persian records and Greek records we don't see that so they're kind of stuck they're like maybe this is a, a mysterious queen that we don't really know a whole lot about and because of this saying of no we we, we Never hear from her again and those kinds of things. But it could also be that the Vashti is is a Hebrew form and our oh man goodness, sorry. Amestris, a mistress is a Greek form of the same Persian name. We just don't know. So it could just be the fact that she was pregnant and she's like, listen, I don't want to come out because I'm pregnant, and that's not that's not how this works. So you got these three different reasons that got, that are kind of thrown out there. But here's the thing. It's not recorded in the Bible. So guess what? It doesn't matter. The reason why she says no does not matter at all. There's nothing about that. What is recorded is Xerxes went from a happy drunk to a burning angry drunk. Okay? That's the thing that we need to see here. It's not the fact that Vashti said no. It's the fact that Xerxes all of a sudden gets really ticked off about this. And listen, Xerxes got kind of goofy when he got angry. In a few years, he's going to go to this war with the Greeks, okay? And in his anger, there's that one point, they have to build a bridge over a river, and so he he gets the Army Corps of Engineers together. Just kidding. They didn't have that because they were Persians. But anyways, they get everybody together. They, They get these they do get these engineers together to build this bridge to get over this river so that they can fight some battle and the storm wipes out the bridge halfway through the the building of it Xerxes gets so mad that he kills all of the engineers and then he orders his people, he orders the soldiers to get chains and whip the water and then hot poking irons and poke the water with hot irons (laughs) because he's like listen this is this is not cool. This is what I want. Now we laugh at it and Stevie really laughs at it. We went on a float trip when we were first married up in the St. Croix, up, you know, up north there. And we go, and we probably chose one of the worst days on earth to go on a little float trip. You know, we're newlyweds. Hey, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. We like float trips. It's great. We go. It's super windy that day. And we're going, and, we, you know, we just want to go straight. I just want to go straight. Let's go straight. <laughs> and we're not going straight. We're turning. We're doing all these things, and I'm... <laughs> And I'm like so angry, so frustrated. I do. I start hitting the water with my paddle. So he's like, what are you angry with? The wind, okay? I'm angry at the wind. Well, have fun with that, Dave, because God made the wind. So you're going to have to live with this. And we ended up getting sunburned and all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh, my goodness! But so you look at this and 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 I, I chuckled when I when I read that story, but at the same time in the back of my head, I'm like, I am no better than Xerxes. I'm just not drunk. <laughs> I'm just a moron at times. And so so Xerxes does some pretty crazy things when he's angry. So now, like I said, this is later in his reign. So let's see what happens with Queen Vashti. Let's see what's in store for her. Look at verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shathar, Admetha, excuse me, Tarshish, uh, Mirs, Marsena, and Memucan, uh, the seven princes of Persia and Media who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, What is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Let's pause there for a second. At least he kind of calmed down, right? We didn't get chains and whipping and hot poking prods on on her. So he does do what Persian kings normally do. Let me get my seven lawmen together to kind of discuss how this works. So he brings them together and he asks them, what can we do according to the law? Verse 16. Then Memucan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahazurus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ahazurus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will uh, will say the same to all the king's officials and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed. That Vashti is never again uh, to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So she, uh, So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes and the king, uh, and the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. And all the men said amen, right? Don't do it. You'll be sleeping on your couch tonight. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. Lots of fun. This is all about respect and honor, or lack thereof. Should I not say, right? With the Bible being silent on the reasons for Vashti saying no, we are to take it that Xerxes was in the wrong and was disrespecting and dishonoring his wife, no matter what laws you're looking at. The reader at that time, and the reader today, should have understood and should now understand that though my wife may be beautiful, it does not give me the right to flaunt her before other men to ogle and lust after her. That's not how this works. That's great. You should think your wife is beautiful. You better think your wife is beautiful, no matter what age, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been married. You should always think she is beautiful, but that's not for all the other guys in the world to figure out and see. It's about you and her. Listen, friends, the Bible is very clear about each person's responsibility to honor others. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, second half there says, Outdo one another in showing honor. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Romans chapter 13, verse 7, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then, of course, you've got the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, which is technically the first aspect of understanding honor and respect. Do it to your own parents. Once you can figure that out, you should be good with everything else, including your relationship with God. If you can figure this out, the honoring of your parents, that goes a long way. Unfortunately for a lot of people, it doesn't happen until like 73 years old, but it can happen before then. But But throughout the word of God, we do see the idea of honor. Xerxes dishonors his wife with his request to have her come out and put on a show for his drunk buddies. But then when he gets angry, the law people freak out. Right? They freak out. If Vashti refuses the command of the king, it would set an example for the other wives in the nation that they can disrespect their husbands in this way, not at all recognizing the dishonor from Xerxes towards Vashti. So what do they do? They punish Vashti to set an example in order to force wives to respect their husbands, So here's the deal. This is what's going to happen. All these women are going to go crazy and they're going to be like, hey, I can do whatever I want. And I'm going to go in there and instead of making chocolate chip cookies, I'm going to make broccoli and I'm going to make you do this. And life is going to be terrible. All because Queen Vashti is like, no, I'm not coming out and dancing before your friends. And so they freak out like a good chunk of us do when we think something is not going the way that we want it to. Even though the initial request, the initial action was absolutely dishonorable, was absolutely disrespectful. We take it too far. They took it too far. They tried to preemptively stop something that wasn't even guaranteed to happen. Yes, the Bible does discuss that the father and the husband uh, being the head of the household and the wife is supposed to submit to her husband, but that's not what this is. A wife doesn't have to submit to degrading and dishonorable requests of her husband. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is not, hey, wives, you know, submit to your husband no matter what he tells you to do. Just, you know, you want to act like, he wants you to act like a fool, act like a fool. That's not what the Bible is talking about. You wouldn't, we, we say this to, we say this to kids also. Listen, you listen and you obey to your parents everything that they say, unless it's going to go against the word of God. Unless it's going to go against what, the, what God has told you to do. Nothing supersedes the law of God. Nothing supersedes the will of God. So we have to take that into to consideration. So again, the wife doesn't have to submit to these degrading, dishonorable requests of her husband. The problem is the flip side. Xerxes didn't honor and love his wife. Yes, friends, my kids are to honor me as their father. Stevie is to honor me as her husband. But should I not make it easy for them to do that? Should I not make it easy for them to do that? I am to love my wife, to not exasperate, to not provoke my children to anger. That's what I have to think about. I can't just be like, hey, I'm going to make a rule, and you're going to honor me, and you're going to respect me. I better make sure that I'm living a life and doing the things that would make them think, this is easy. I want to respect my husband. I want to honor my dad. I want to do those things. And each of us should be thinking about those same things. I should be doing things that that people who are supposed to be giving me honor as weird as that sounds it's hard to think about that because most of us aren't sitting there thinking well so-and-so should be showing me honor and respect although sometimes we really do think about it we just don't let those thoughts be spoken (laughs) but but there is a truth to that but but we have to understand listen am i making it easy for someone to do that xerxes would have done much better of course to apologize to vashti But it's hard to do that when you don't fear God, let alone think you are God. Remember the whipping of the water with chains. (laughs) Xerxes was nothing like his father Darius or his grandfather Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great hears about the prophecies and tells the people of Israel, Hey, go build your temple. That's huge. That's a big deal. Go do it. When Cyrus is gone and a couple other kings show up and things get kind of hairy out there in Jerusalem, they go to Darius and Darius is like, well, let me find out what's going on. And what does he do? He ends up finding the scroll from Cyrus the Great telling them, yes, you should be building this temple. And Darius says, go ahead, go for it. Build your temple. Worship your God. And both Cyrus and Darius both said, hey, make sure you guys give these people all that they need. In fact, why don't some of you go and help them do this kind of thing? They were very much into God. They very much cared about that. They had some selfish reasons to it, but at least they cared about God. Xerxes, that's not the case. Xerxes hated religion. Xerxes looked at religion as, that's just another form for them to rebel against me. They're going to start following some God that they like, and they're going to do that more than they're going to follow me. So he doesn't care about that. He doesn't doesn't want to do those kinds of things. He doesn't fear God. In fact, he went as far as to destroy temples, not the temples in Jerusalem, but, but he destroyed a lot of temples because he wanted to be known as God. He wanted to be the center of everyone's attention. And we can see it right here at the beginning of this story with Esther. Here's the thing, though, friends. This is what we should see in this chapter. He's not a fear of God. He's not Jewish. He doesn't have any Jewish blood in him. He doesn't know God. He could care less about God. Listen, friends, when we dishonor people, and when we make it difficult for those who are to show honor to us, we are no better than a godless pagan. That's what this is showing us. This is what the world acts like. They freak out. They don't see the, uh, the, the, oh, my goodness, the log in their own eye, (laughs) but they sure can see the speck in other people's eyes. That's how the world works. That's how the world reacts. Oh my goodness, there was this one action that this one person wouldn't do. And so this is what's going to happen. So we better make everything form around what we think should happen. And that's what happens when we allow our own thoughts to overtake. We start thinking crazy things that 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 may not have happened that and even if you know, even if they did happen, I mean, it's. It, of course, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's there's there's a lot of misogyny within people of the Bible, not the Bible itself, but within people within the Bible. And so, yeah, it could have turned into something pretty hairy. But at the same time, it, it it could have been understood much much differently, and it could have gone a much different way. But but when our own minds take over that thinking, when we don't allow God to move in, we don't allow God to see these things. Those those things tend to happen. Now, who knows what would have happened had Xerxes not been an arrogant fool and said, you know, you're right. I shouldn't have done that, Vashti. I don't know what would have happened with Esther. Who knows? Maybe time would have been much different. Stories would have been much different. But God took this crazy story and opens the door for Esther to come on in. And we're going to see that next week as we dig deeper into this. This is what gets Esther into this position that she's going to get in as the, the, the series is called Saving a Nation. She's going to save a group of people. I mean, it's it's huge what she does. But sometimes to get to that point, Weird things have to happen, and God will take those weird things and use it for His purposes and use it for His goodness. But the main thing I want us to understand today is the idea of honor and respect to each other to lift each other up, to build each other up, to help each other, not to think of our own things all the time, not to be selfish and, you know what, this is my desire, this is what I want, this is what I need. We're just going to do it my way. I could care less about you, and I don't care what you're doing. In fact, I'm going to see if I can make some rules to make it even harder on you. We see that in our government. We see that in other governments. That's not what God has called us to. God has called us to follow him, to respect and honor those above ourselves. Why don't you stand with me today? we're just going to be praying about that. You know, maybe some of you are in a position right now where maybe you got a boss, a teacher, a, a pastor, I don't know, <laughs> that you don't really respect. <laughs> that that you're not too fond of. And it's difficult. And I just want you today to take that time and say, "Lord, you used some pretty crazy people that that did not Deserve the honor that they wanted, that did not deserve the respect that they wanted, but at the same time, Lord, you used those folks in a powerful way. And I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about you as a born-again believer and how you can start showing respect and honor to that person, even if it's not being showed back. You know, we talked about all those verses about, you know, showing respect and honor. It doesn't come with the caveat of if they're nice to you. That's not how that works. There's a lot of bum parents out there. Kids still need to honor them. Kids still need to honor their parents. You got a lot of bosses out there that are boneheads. (laughs) There's still an aspect to where you have to respect and honor at least the position that they're in. I mean, we've had plenty of presidents (laughs) that are boneheads, politicians, But the word is still there. You're to pray for them. You're to honor them. I'm not saying that you have to grovel at their feet and praise and worship them. You have to understand the position that they're in and say, Lord, help me to be a light no matter what's going on. And then on the flip side, like I said earlier, are you making it easy for the people that would, quote, unquote, honor you, that would respect you? Do you make it easy for them to do that? Are you trying to force it? Let me make this rule. Let me make this law like we saw these people do. How about we start respecting other people? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Is that not the golden rule?